finished last week's episode just in time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I just finished it uh, tonight. Couldn't believe how many times you said major. I'm from Ohio. That's what you say. I don't know, but I, like, I was surprised that I didn't pick it up on the show itself, but only on uh, re-listening, you know? When you say it, it sounds silly. <laughs> yeah, does it? Major. Oh, my kids. Do, do you use your kids? Do you use your kid. Singular. Have your accent? Um, I don't know what she sounds like. She says something's really weird, but no, nah, not too much. You? My, neither of my kids have my accent. It's very upsetting to me. Your daughter strikes me as much more, on the face of it, more outgoing. Your son seems a little mumbly. Yeah, well, you know. Is that because he's, he's around a stranger? No, I, I think it's two parts. One, uh, he's getting into that mumbly age. Yep. Right? And two, he he started off uh, more reserved. But yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean, I wasn't saying he has a speech impediment. <laughs> Your son seems a little disabled. Now, you know, you know he'd like, yeah, it's certain, because I was the same way probably more talkative when i was younger you start getting closer to puberty you start clamming up mm-hmm. is his voice changing no not yet hmm. but anyway neither one of them have my accent it's a it's a source of tension i just don't have your ear i don't hear uh mm-hmm. how dumb i sound most of the time i also like honestly the classic like don don and don it's all the same to me yeah, I know. We've gone over this before. The number the number of distinct vowel sounds only ever shrinks. It does not expand. Huh. And they're like the big map of the U.S. of like oh, all the right, different right, variations right. on vowel sounds. And the areas where where multiple sounds are combined into one common sound only grow. And the areas where they're distinct only shrink if you do like the time lapse. So eventually we'll just we'll all be making one giant vowel sound. And the, <laughs> that'll be the only one left in the entire country. But anyway, my kids Yarm. <laughs> don't, don't speak like me and... I guess it's because, like, they speak like their friends or, like, they basically, even though you teach them to speak, quote-unquote, teach them to speech or speak or whatever, eventually they go off and have peers and teachers and they, they don't have, like, Massachusetts accents either, um, but they don't have my New York accent. Yeah, I mean, I this is an old saw, but I think, you know, radio and TV have such an impact if you think about just like just the voices you hear i mean setting aside that the country is such a melting pot of people moving to different places you're not surrounded necessarily anymore uh by people who all talk exactly the same way it just doesn't happen anymore well i think well maybe that's right maybe this i think of the students in their school they don't really have massachusetts accents but i don't know i mean where the hell did i get my new york accent from i mean both my parents have it so there was those two strikes against me. And then I think about when I went to school, I think pretty much all the kids had a New York accent and so did their parents. So there was no, there were no outside accents and TV. I don't know. Cause I feel like the, the television personalities, well, first of all, there are plenty of shows in the seventies featuring people who had New York accents. So that was like, Oh yeah, right on. Right. Um, but then television newscasters and everything were more neutral than New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't pick up any of their accents like, or all the other people on television. I didn't, I have my New York accent is uh what one out and then I figured I don't know what I thought. I thought maybe maybe because my accent is stronger that it would that it would win out and my kids would have it, but nope, they don't and now we just make fun of how uh we say things. My own children. Mm. They 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 make fun of you. And I make fun of them. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Sometimes um you know, it's just it's one of those funny things I guess of parenthood or family is I'll just sometimes not even more than like maybe once a month, something newish will come out of my daughter's mouth and I'll, I'll just be agog 
because you, you know this, ex- this experience. You go, like, oh, my God, you sound so much like your mom right now. Or you sound so much like me right now. Like when she started saying literally all the time. <laughs> it could also be that, as you noted on the last show, that you speak like a 12-year-old girl. So you're, you're kind of syncing up soon. I wish you'd stop listening to the show before we record. It puts me, puts me in a slight disadvantage, one that I can't even measure. Not even with yeah. Cajun washing. You don't have to try to do it. It just comes out that way. Like, you know, <laughs> when, you, when you exaggerate it, it's like, it's like the video of actors playing actors acting. Oh, I didn't watch that whole thing yet. It looks really good. Did you watch it? I've seen it before, but I did Instapaper it for rewatching later. Good old Todd. Todd's always presence on this show. Mm -hmm. I I like the ones that you do that you don't even know that you do. I don't don't even want to tell you them because I I treasure them as my own secret little... You treasure them? (laughs) No, I don't know. Give me one. Give me one. I'll give you one that my kids do. I don't think you do this one, but just to give you an example of the kind of stuff that goes on with my kids, like uh, C-A-R-E, right? That's a word. Right. And, and then I-T is a word. Oh, this drives you crazy. And then if you just take, say those two words, like as if they're one word stuck together. Can you do that for me? Are you talking about the, like if you're a nurse or if you're an orange vegetable? Orange vegetable. I say carrot. Right. And so they, they say care, like I care for you. And they say, it. Well, how do you carrot. say it, professor? If you're from New York, you say carrot. It's the same. You just, you just said exactly the same thing. So, you're, you're, they, you're like a French person. You are deliberately messing with me. There's I, no I, distinction I, they, in anything that you're saying. They have real trouble hearing it, too. And when they try to imitate me saying, I think they can hear that I say it differently, but they can't say it back to me. It's kind of hilarious. What they try to say is, Dad, you say carrot. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, carrot. I don't. No, I don't, kids. Uh, carrot. A- candy. What do you think, what do you think about Alexandra? <laughs> candy. <laughs> When's the last time you just sat around and thought about candy? <laughs> I think that was not Dom Herrera. That might have been Jake Johansson. I'm not sure. Last time you thought about candy wasn't... That's oh, no, no, that's Louis, Ray Romano. That's Louis, that's- Louis C.K., right? No, no, no. You think you're talking about Dr. Katz? It was so definitely the, Ray Romano. Oh, the Romano, yeah, the one the last thing talking. Uh, yeah. Andrew, what are you thinking about? Candy. Oh, yeah, and, and the heavy cat sauces, that was not Dom Herrera. It was some guy who I don't know because I, I don't recognize his cartoon likeness. Jake Johansson, maybe. Um, I just watched that, too. I watched it after good. listening to the podcast. Still Terrible good. audio on that one. I wish I had a better clip of it. I should just like find the complete Dr. Katz on like Blu-ray or something and just buy it all so I can rip that segment. It's not surpassingly easy to find yeah I that's so frustrating to me i hate how stuff just disappears disappears no yeah it's it's uh it's ponderous like that, that comic i like that you don't like as much Stuart lee um he's you know he's well regarded critically he's you know had shows on the bbc he's pretty popular and one of his main bits in the last few years has been this ongoing very funny bit about people pirating his live dvds the thing is i can't get a DVD of his stuff that plays in my region. You know what I mean? It's it's just, it's so strange to me to how that's, I guess there's production costs associated with putting it anywhere for whatever reason, but I'm more than happy to buy it. But it's just sometimes the only way you can find it is like some very dark corner or YouTube or increasingly daily motion. Yeah, there's no excuse anymore. Is it, even if you don't care about, oh, DVD, printing fees, production costs, blah, blah, just take the region whatever DVD, rip it, Put it for sale in the digital version, like Louis C.K. on your website. Done. Mm-hmm. You could do it with Squarespace site for crying out loud. 
Yeah. yeah. And like, would it be the best quality? No, but it would be available someplace officially and you could buy it. And the production cost would be like pay a teenager for a day. Yeah, I I suspect it's more complicated than that, but I... I in, Legally speaking, yes. Technically, no. Hmm, maybe. Because you said it was already on video. The production, like, there is a, a, you know, a DVD, but you just can't buy it and play it in your, you know, Region 1 player, and you don't want to get a Region Free player or whatever. Rip the DVD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you have the video off of it, already produced, complete. It will be lower quality than it is in the DVD, but again, it's a stand-up comedy thing. It's not Lawrence of Arabia. It would be fine. This is the the lowest possible bar. I I agree, and like it's I deliberately very much try to stay out of scrapes about the whole back of a truck situation. But I mean, there's there's a there's a a very a very bald fact that the music industry eventually cop to, which is they're competing with not simply free; they're competing with easily available. Easy to change, easy to move, no DRM. They're they're not they're not just competing with you know Camelot and Music Bar, uh, you know Camelot and Music Bar are not just competing. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's that it isn't it isn't simply just that people are freeloaders. It's just that you want to get copies of stuff that you can get. If you want stuff that's out of print, like what am I going to do? I'm going to call Marvel. Like Marvel's crazy about what they decide to print and not at a given time. Like trade paperbacks of like very very popular well known properties just go out of print for a while for no reason. That's like the Disney vault. Oh, the Disney vault. <laughs> I'd love to visit that someday. It's the Marvel vault. <laughs> this trade paperback is going back into the Marvel vault. Yeah, but I mean, even stuff like, um, so like for most of the for major uh, characters and teams in Marvel, they started doing something probably in the 80s called the Masterworks. And it was just a collected trade paperback of like usually six issues of, uh, you know, an older property. So I own the first six volumes of Uncanny X-Men, like starting in 1975 up to, yeah, whatever, 1980, something like that. Anyway, whatever. Um, and now, I mean, like, those are not always on the shelf. Like, you, I, I'll go to the comic shop and I'll say, hey, you know, if there's something like that that's not there, if you don't have Thor Volume 3 or whatever, like, can I order that? And it, it is completely, it's witchcraft, whether it even exists. They have to go into the computer and look it up. It's not, you know, it, that just, I, I, I feel like I do understand why that happens, that they must have their reasons. But and that's even just talking about like something that they've owned free and clear. That's that's John hates when I say this rhetoric, but it's free money. Like they're just paying to put the paper out, right? And somebody's going to go pay twenty dollars for that. But, but so which makes the electronic stuff even more seemingly inexcusable. You know what I mean? It's it's really frustrating that I don't know. I mean, like we have all the Miyazaki movies. We have that box set of uh, m- most of the uh, Miyazaki movies, but like. And again, now I'm that guy. Now I'm first world Johnny, where I'm like, no, nah, God, I hate having to like plug in the Blu-ray player. Like, oh, it must be, it's like, a, you know, it's like a fax machine or something. Like once, like four times a year, I've got to go plug in the freaking Blu-ray machine because I don't have this anywhere else. And, but like when it comes to stuff like, especially with the BBC, it's so ironic that the BBC has this terrible history of like erasing its own stuff. Like you can kind of understand that at a time when they needed to reuse the tape, but they just stripped a whole bunch of stuff off their public website. They just they just disappear stuff all the time. And it's like somebody here wants to buy that. You have this whole market over here. Even if fifteen of us bought that this month, that's fifteen more sales you had than last month. Did you see this thing that I just threw a link in the notes that uh the Paramount Vault, which is the name of a YouTube channel owned yeah. presumably by by actual Paramount Pictures. They they put up uh, Millennium Actress, right? Yeah, just they, they put up a movie that I know is difficult to get. I have it on DVD. Um, 
I think it must have been released on Blu-ray in Japan. If if it was ever for for sale legit on Blu-ray in the U.S., I must have missed it. Um, and I think there's actually an English dub somewhere because I've seen like downloadable copies with an English dub. Anyway, uh, difficult to get uh, and a, a great movie. And like, you you, and, you talked about that was one of that was that was one of the ones you recommended on the incomparable as like yeah, here's where to get started. We had uh, we had an anime 102 episode about it on the incomparable. Um, and it's always frustrating when, you know, an obscure movie is difficult to get. And Paramount, which apparently owns the rights, the distribution rights, thing, rather than saying, oh, well, you know, not a lot of people like this, but we should just put it up for digital sale. They put it up for free on YouTube. Yeah. Which, great. Thanks, Paramount. That's awesome. More people get to see this movie who otherwise wouldn't spend even $5 to, like, download a, a legit digital copy. Now it's just free for everybody. But I really don't quite understand the thing. It's like, guys... This is a really good movie. It's critically acclaimed. It's never going to sell that many because it's anime and, and it's a narrow genre or whatever. You could sell people, like, sell it for a dollar. Sell it for five dollars. Like, not, not that I, I think it's bad that it's up for free, but it's the thinking doesn't make sense to me. You, you yeah, obviously absolutely. have a digital copy of this movie. Someone ripped the Blu-ray or ripped the DVD and did that t- t- terribly difficult technical work to get a digital copy of this thing. You could have been a. You could have been selling this for years, and yeah. b. You could be selling it now, but instead it went up for free, which is weird to me. I mean, I guess it gives people good feelings about Paramount or something, but I don't know what the I don't know what the end game is. Anyway, it's only got twenty one thousand views, so we'll put the link in the show notes. If you've never seen Millennium Actress, here's the other thing that's a shame about it: find some way to watch YouTube on your television, like without the player controls visible for the entire movie. You know, like most people don't have that unless they're nerds and have like a Chromecast or they, they have the Apple TV. Apple Apple TV does that, or you can put it to Plex. Yeah, but only nerves have on any of those things you just named. But right, I, I right. but anyway, if you're listening to the show, you're probably a nerd anyway. So if you've never seen Millennium Actress, it is an animated movie. It is subtitled. Please don't watch the dub. Um, if you can think you can tolerate that at all, I think it's a great example of an anime movie that is different than most people expect, and it's just a wonderful movie. And guess what? It's absolutely free, officially not pirated from the people who own the rights to the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I opened it up just long enough, you know, the kind of check you do, just to say, like, <laughs> is this what it says it is? And to spoil the whole movie for yourself? No, I saw a lady getting on a spaceship. It looked like a serious, well-put-together movie, you jerk. We're going <laughs> to watch a goddamn movie. End. Don't skip to the end. I can't just watch the end first and then go back. No, no just watch it straight. It's only what is it? Uh, an hour and and twenty six minutes long. I was I was thrilled to see that. I have a list somewhere. I can't get it to it right now. I think it's on my phone. But I have a list somewhere of a bunch of movies like that. That basically I've I've got my back of a train monitor watching for movies like that because they don't always turn up all that much. It's it's you're right though. But I mean like again now that seems to it further confuses this whole issue of like what is hard, what is easy. So basically, there's, a, there's this whole black box that I, I always, whenever, when I don't understand why something happens in business, or especially, no, more specifically, in entertainment media, especially movies, TV, you know, uh, to watch in the home, I have this big black box over here where I throw all of my reasons, which is there must be something having to do with negotiating rights that I either don't know or don't understand, but I'm sh- there must be a good reason for it. But then that happens, and you're like, that's so odd. Like, why, you know, somebody would definitely pay, like, what, at least five bucks for that. I mean, they should, what they should really be doing, now that Satoshi Kon, the director, who is, a, you know, a fairly famous director within these circles, uh, is no longer with us, died in an early death. He has a collection of works that people all agree is filled with classics. Sell a box set. Sell a director box set. I mean, I'm sure they do sell that in Japan. It's just, like, 
they should just be selling that in every possible form. There should you it should be impossible to go someplace where you can buy movies and not be able to buy a box set of this now deceased uh director's collected works. So but Toshi you know, Cone? Yeah. Okay. Hey, didn't you did you listen to that? It's good. I hope you didn't listen to that anime episode because it would have spoiled the whole movie for you. Maybe you're old and you Well the good die. news for you is I did listen to it and I don't remember any of it. So. Yeah, that's, well it'll all come back to you then. So you mm-hmm. that's, that was pretty listen. early on in my um incomparable listening but there were like three movies i feel like there were three movies something blue was perfect there? blue was the other one i think i think we only did two by him he has okay uh, all, all of his movies are great and, well that's him and as well tv series yes okay this, right. that was that was the theme early on was like movies by the same director but then we branched out maybe that was the first one maybe that's anime 101 hmm. anyway we're, I'm, i got the the next set of movies lined up and i'm gonna send out the call you can you can be on this one if you answer the call i'm gonna say hey does anyone want to watch these movies it's gonna be Movies and not TV shows this time. Uh, small time commitment. If you're interested, you can watch the thing and show up on the program. No way. I mean, no way. No way. Too much pressure. It's like a 90-minute movie and a 20-minute short film. You have no idea how stressful it is for me to do that show. I, I have an idea. I don't quite understand why, but it shouldn't be. Oh, my God. It's so stressful. We're, the one we're doing on – are you on Thursdays? Yes. Okay. Now, see, now that, that one – uh, I, okay, different kind of pressure because it's a movie everybody loves, and so I'm going to be on there. And I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to be like Chris Farley guy. Oh, it's really good. You like that one scene when she looks out of the box, like, uh. and I'm going to sound like a total dope, like I always do. I don't know how. I don't. I, I mean, I'm, you see how terrible I am on Slack with all of you people. I don't know how to jibe the way you jibe. I don't know how to get in and get out and make a little joke and a pun, and then Steve says a fart joke. And I, I don't understand how to participate. It's not how it'll all get fixed. In it's it's incredibly stressful to me. I, I really relax. Oh, Frankie, Frankie, yeah, you got it. <laughs> we combine, we have one working brain. Frankie say, it used to bother me. Frankie, Frankie yeah. is referring collectively to Frankie goes to Hollywood. Frankie say, mm-hmm. relax. Is Trouble that what the, is that what it said? Frankie say, relax. You sure the S just didn't wrap off the end of the shirt? Could be. Could be. Could be they didn't measure right. <laughs> a lot of pressure because I enjoy that show. And the thing is, it's not even like it's, it's, it's not like, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to quit trying to compliment things on here because it always comes out wrong. I really enjoy that show and I listen to it and I love it. I, listen, I, I mean, I got my Skeletor shirt yesterday. Like, I am a fan. Um, but I feel we're talking about The Incomparable, which is a podcast that John is frequently on, that I've been on a few times, and I've only gotten slightly less terrible at being on that show each time. Now, here's the thing. I'm an arrogant bastard. I generally feel like I do a pretty good job at what I do on a show. I don't have a dark night of the soul every time I do a podcast. But for some reason, that show, I, I was like, oh, my God, everything I said was so stupid. Why am I on this show? It's a, do, do you get that feeling about anything? Uh, almost every podcast I'm on. <laughs> oh, this is the neuroticism. No, I have Yeah, I have the exact same feeling in the comparable. That, that that's what the incomparable is. What but you, you're you think perfect. You have a, you're the winner of that show. No, you're the champion think, of that show. I think you have a misunderstanding of what the incomparable is. I feel like everybody goes on that show, and we all talk to each other about about. It's take me like maybe two hundred, two hundred or so like more episodes, and I'll really understand the show. Well, it, but we all feel like we said stupid things and didn't say what we should have said. And for the most part, Jason saves most of it in editing, making us all look better. But sometimes he just can't save us from ourselves. And that's fine. Like, that's what the show is about. His editing just, is actually, like, all kidding aside, his editing is amazing and tasteful. And you don't 
notice it. You you would really have to listen carefully to both. And then if once you notice the difference, you can't unnotice it. Like he fixes so much just dumb stuff and not ducks, but he like, you know, tweaks just a little bit. So nobody's talking to him. He does like a lonely sandwich on it. It's really, really amazing. Yeah. And, and during the show, I'm, I have that in mind that what all I'm trying to do is give him the raw materials to make a decent show out of it. That's, and that's so smart. That's how you can try to get over the fact that you're saying stupid things but no there's not a there's not an episode of that show or any other show but especially that show because that's just one of the few remaining shows that i do that i come in with like fairly copious notes where i realize <laughs> in your opening I'm, statements <laughs> yeah but where i realize i am not hitting the points i want to hit in my notes the ones that are in my notes i'm making badly and i'm shoehorning things in where they don't fit and i'm skipping over things that i wish i had time to talk about because guess what you're not the only one on that show it's a panel show yeah right and that is the it, eternal frustration of uh egomaniacal neurotics uh like ourselves uh, <laughs> is that you you know you have things you want to say and you have ideas that you think have value because you're egomaniacal and then when you say them uh because you're neurotic you realize you are not you're not accomplished it's not coming out the way you imagined it in your head and you're you're screwing it up and while you're saying it, you're like you're screwing it up you're blowing it and then you know that's life but i you know i think i think it all I think it all comes out in the wash and i you know just try to try to do, just try to do better next time it's all you can do but don't don't get all inside your head about it just you know relax all right um who are your favorites on that show people or topics people who cares about the topics uh, blah blah something, I something I, like, I like i like everybody there's not there's not a single person that's not really, I that's not really I an answer like. i know i know i don't have i don't uh, pick favorites it really depends on the episode because i know the people who are super into a topic right so yeah if, but there's there's you got a you got a you got a utility player and you got a secret weapon and it's 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 two it's two of the not pe- people don't think of them as the main people but i'm gonna tell you you want me to tell you? I'll tell you. I'll tell you who. You want me to tell you who? You're gonna play favorites. That's I'm nice. gonna play favorites. All right, Tony and Monty, secret weapons. Yeah, but they they are they have a particular role, and you like that role, I guess. Yeah, I love good. their role. Their role is good. good. I mean, they're they're like the lonely sandwich of that show. Like they 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 get in both those guys in their different ways get in lots of really good stuff, and uh, you know, and to an extent, you know, I really like when Scott's on. I love I love the role Scott ends up playing on those shows too. He has a he has a like as much as he's very kind of quiet and Scott McNulty like in his way, like he has a very clear voice without being like assertive. I really like I like him on there a lot. Everybody else is a mess. Terrible show. No, it's a good group. I I, I genuinely I genuinely love that show. It's a, it's a form of comedic timing to to not say anything for a long period of time and. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Backblaze, the unlimited native backup solution for your Mac or PC. You can go right now and sign up for a 15-day free trial with no credit card required. You go to backblaze.com slash differences. Team, I use and love and swear by Backblaze, and I really hope you'll give it a try. It's the best. Backblaze safely and securely backs up all of your files, gives you access to all that data, with their iOS and Android apps. So you can have everything with you no matter where you are. They have a web restore tool that allows for quick downloads of single files. Backblaze even has the ability to restore by mail. Yes, you heard it right, mail. You can buy a hard drive from Backblaze. They will FedEx you all of your data overnight. You can just return that drive within 30 days and get a refund. How great is that? Backblaze securely looks after over 200 
petabytes of data. I don't know what a petabyte is. It sounds really, really big. They've restored over 10 billion files. I looked it up on the internet. That is a lot of files. It's a great off-site addition to your local backups. If you have stuff like external drives and time machine, that's great. But this becomes an essential part of your backup strategy. This is all happening in the background. It's the best. There are no gimmicks, no additional charges. It's just $5 American per month for unlimited, unthrottled off-site backup. Plus, if you're a developer or you need archives, you've got to check out Backblaze B2. That is Backblaze's cloud storage for half a penny per gig per month. What? Are you even kidding me? Crazy. And now here's the thing. Reconcilable differences, listeners. Get a 15-day free trial just by visiting backblaze.com slash differences. And make sure you visit them and let them know you came from here. It helps support the show. But listen, I really want you to go get this thing. This thing has saved my bacon so many times. So many files I, I got rid of and I didn't know it. I don't know where it went. It's all there on Backblaze. It's easy to get. Please do me a favor, not just for the show, but for you. Go get yourself some Backblaze. Thank you so much for Backblaze. Supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. All right, there's... Uh, okay, I'm going to regret this. There's probably one thing in fake follow-up that we should address. Do you, do you know what it is? I don't know why it's fake. I do know what it is. Well, it's follow. It's follow along. I wrote it there. I wrote it there as soon as you. <laughs> this this is your own fault because this was not brought upon you. You brought this upon yourself. You brought by, it upon me. By you brought it upon me. Chiming in unsolicited oh. to say while you were listening to us do a live recording of ATP. Yeah. You protested through private channels that you disagreed with what we were saying. And because you're I, wrong. And then I brought you into the show, and then you continue to complain about it in real time. It's just not a good dynamic of us trying to record a live podcast and you tw- <laughs> tweeting snarkily about it in uh, on Twitter and writing things in Slack. And, and Slack, and, yeah. Anyway, so one of the topics for our show, I, I, again, I will say again that I feel like this topic was in, addressed in its entirety, all possible angles. Everything you were going uh, to say was John, addressed in the show. John, must we assure ourselves like lawyers? Like, what... Th- th- I, I feel like you don't have any you you have anger but you don't have any new information so anyway go ahead you think you got anger is that what i got you got something so explain yourself on atp by the way i was i was scolding people who who reflexively force quit all their applications and then i had all sorts of qualifications around it to saying all the reasons you might legitimately want to force quit applications but you were super angry i was not super angry i was i was full of righteous indignation no, I did address your stuff eventually. I addressed other people's things, too, which you said, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, but that's not Marco, it. But I got to you eventually. Oh, you guys, you and Marco always want to make it into this whole, like, smart boys, smart lads club thing. We're like, yo, no, I really covered that. Well, I'm going to change my I headline. Did. Go ahead. Go ahead. Surprise me. Surprise me. The thrust of what you said, I think, is... <sighs> you may have blacked out because you're so angry, but go ahead. Uh... What you said was true enough to be very close to true. Which is that there is that there. Okay, so here's there's, a, there's a, this is another one of our double, possibly triple turns out. Okay, so let let's review. So here's the thing: a thing that people became aware of on iOS is that there is a way to what's the official name for it? Force quit an application. So if you double click on the home button, that enables you to flip through and go to previous apps. Um. And it feels like the experience you have on a Mac, where like, and any of us old school Mac guys know back in the day when you have to like allocate a certain amount of RAM, remember that and you change the number of how much you were, I'm sure you remember this. But in the same sense on iOS, there, people realize that you can quit an app. Am I using the right term here? Force quit an app? What's the, what's the right to, or terminate, terminate I don't know what Apple calls it. Force quit is what I would call it, but I, I don't. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, you can you can make the 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 application 
exit because there's no quit menu. There's no menu bar item. There's no menu bar in iOS. There's no quit command. And there's not a need for it uh, in many most cases. But no, so, so what happened was for a long time, nobody ever thought about this. Then people realized that you could quit things. Then a meme started. I don't know what you would call it, like a meme, including apparently people in like geniuses in Apple stores have given this advice. And the following advice was, on the one hand, there's the more silly and benign advice of, uh, you know, you can go and quit apps to like tidy things up and increase the amount of memory. But the big, the one I think you were addressing is the bigger and sillier conventional wisdom, quote unquote, which was that, and I just found out the other day, my wife has been doing this for years, is that you can double click, you should probably quit all of the apps on your phone. It will, in the conventional wisdom, uh, well, most people say save battery life. If you quit this app, it won't be running in the background quote unquote anymore. So people do that. Often they're told to do that. They're told this by somebody who's regarded as an Apple nerd. Here's great advice. Quit these apps. Either quit when you're having trouble or, I mean, am I getting your just right? Is that there are a lot of people who say you should just quit your apps most of the time. And there are people, you'll be sitting there on, on public transit and you'll see people like passing the time by just quitting apps on their iPhone. Yeah, in in the multi in the current iteration of the multitasking switcher, the way you quit apps is you double tap home to see all the little things as a series of cards lined up on each other, uh, and you can flick sideways through them to pick which ones you want. But if you flick upwards, the little card goes away. That's the graphical representation of you quitting the app. So what you will see if you watch on the subway or whatever is people double tapping home, going flick 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 flick, flicking all their little cards vertically up to get rid of them. And I don't think there's anybody in any position of authority who's actually recommending that you routinely force quit all of your applications definitely apple genius bars have said oh if you're having problems here's one possible solution uh and maybe even they've even gone so far as to say every time you have a problem make this your first go-to tool for doing it but through the game of telephone and people telling each other you get this habit where like i said i saw my son doing it i'd never i didn't even know he knew where the multitasking switcher is where did he learn it he learned from his friends at school which is like this is just a thing that you do when you're done using an application you double tap home and flick it upwards if you double tap home and you see a bunch of crap there, flick it all upwards. Like just routinely, this is how you use your phone, which is not true and a stupid thing to do for a variety of reasons. Which I, which I would actually, at the risk of repeating ourselves, I would like you to talk about. But I also want to just say that it became something like a secret menu at in and out It became this thing that got passed around as this, psst, hey, did you know the real deal? Here's the real deal. Yeah, the, the government doesn't want you to know about force quitting. Yeah, these Hollywood, there's you. Wall Street fat cats, don't you? There's three ways to leave this parking lot faster that those Wall Street fat cats don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's the way it got passed around. And any of us who consider ourselves to have half a half a brain in this kind of stuff goes, well, you know, actually, and at this point, you should be the technology person and explain why. That's actually, it turns out, <laughs> turns out number two, that's not actually helping. And that in the time that it takes, well, you should speak, when you relaunch the app, you're actually using more resources and battery to relaunch it rather than leave it in that state because Apple's already taken care of that with what iOS does, iOS does with an app that's not active, correct? We've got quadruple turns out, actually, because in the olden days, in oh the olden days, uh, tech nerds were even angry about this because bef- very early days of when it was called iPhone OS, not even uh, iOS, the multitasking, first of all, didn't exist at all in the original iPhone. When it when it came, the switcher looked like a little row of icons along the bottom, if I recall correctly. So it looked totally different. But more importantly, it behaved differently in that it used to be essentially impossible for any application, especially third-party applications, to to actually do anything when they weren't running except for perhaps play audio. Um, but this, so is, did, this is before – so to go way back here, we're talking about before – obviously before PNP 
PIP video, obviously before uh, location um, yeah, before background, before background processing, before anything, okay. it was still they had a multitasking switcher because they had added a thing where you get you, what you would get is like the screen would move up and you would see a row of icons just like they look in Springboard, a horizontal row of icons. And the way you force quit back then was you would uh, hold down your finger, I believe, and they would turn into shaky mode and you get a little X over them. Do you remember that? A little X in the corner, similar to and, how you'd rearrange the home screen. Yeah, and the, instead of deleting apps, you'd be for you'd be closing them or whatever. Right back in those days. People would see all those icons, and they'd be like, no wonder my phone is slow. Look at all these things that are running. But back in those days, those things couldn't be running. There was no way for third-party applications to do anything when they weren't the frontmost application. The OS would immediately suspend them. They literally could not do anything, again, except play audio, and then you would notice that audio was playing. And for I think for a while, they couldn't even do audio. No, it wasn't, but, even, it wasn't audio in all cases, I don't think. Uh, this is before background processing was available for third-party applications. Like, right. there was no APIs for doing anything in the background. And that's, back then, the meme started, oh, look at all these applications, no wonder your phone is slow, you should close all these things. And the tech nerds were like, you don't understand, just because you see the icon doesn't mean it's running. And in fact, it's technically impossible for it to be doing anything. So you closing them is not only pointless, and they, again, they were, it was like, oh, I'm saving battery by closing these or whatever, but... If you wanted to use that application again, like they were, they were suspended in the back. Oh, these days, they might not even have been suspended. These days, they might have just been totally gone, and you had to relaunch them every time. But anyway, where uh, it would be more know. like um, a history with aliases. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but because they didn't distinguish, because they didn't distinguish between running and not running, they just showed like the most recent applications that you've launched. People would think they were running. So lots of anger r- uh, comes from that. But of course, <laughs> but it's the, but it's about as useful as as like deleting your browser history to make your computer run it, faster. It, put it this way: like we're, most of us are familiar with the OS 10 dock, which has little dots under running applications. It would be as if you launched an application, then quit it. Then launch another application, then quit it. Then launch another application, then quit it. And then look down at your dock and saw the icons of all those applications that you'd previously been running, but none of them had dots under them, and you dragged them all off the dock to to like save processing time. We all know because we know what the dots mean. Just because they're in the dock doesn't mean they're running. The dot means they're running. And by the way, Apple removed that dot in various OS betas and has, has a preference to show it or not show it because they don't want you to know whether they're running or not. It should be, <laughs> shouldn't be an issue. But on iOS, there's never been a dot. So when people saw the big list of icons, they'd be like, oh, my God, all these applications I ran over the past day are still and running. And you could even go like, oh, my gosh, I haven't, I haven't used this thing. In t- I didn't use this little uh, game in three days. I can't believe it's still open. Yeah, I can't believe Quote it's still unquote. open. I got I to get rid of it. So that's the origins of this thing. And the main origin of the anger was like, you dummies, it's, you're being fooled by the fact that you're seeing a picture there. It means nothing. Eventually, over time, Apple slowly introduced background processing APIs. Now you can download a file in the, in the background as long as you do it in less than 10 minutes. Now you can get 10 seconds of extra processing time. Now you can play uh, audio or video in the background. Now you can have routine background. T- like They slowly added the abilities for applications to actually do stuff in the background. A lot of that background processing is not necessarily tied to whether you have are currently using the application or have launched it because you can do things with push notifications and stuff that doesn't show up in the multitasking switcher. Like if you get a silent push notification and all that, you know, it's much more complicated than people think it is. But nowadays, there actually are cases where an application that you're not currently using can be running some code, um, which means there is something to be said for, say, for the Facebook application, which does all every trick in the book to try to do processing behind the scenes, that something you are not using could be using your battery and that kernel of truth is enough to perpetuate the whole meme of you just need to force quit everything all the time right you know not not just identify the one application that's doing sneaky things but just like blanket i don't have time to to figure out what thing is the problem just force quit everything and you'll be better but you won't because force quitting everything 
these days when you're not using an application and doesn't do anything in the background and just suspend it it's ready to resume exactly where it left off right if you force quit it the next time you go back to it it's got to relaunch read all the things off of the flash relaunch the application from a totally empty state load all the code and data back into memory do all that io to the flash you don't want that to happen you want to just pick up where it left off you don't want to have to reread all that stuff from the flash memory and put all that code and, you know, and execute all that stuff like that's bad for your battery you want to force quit the facebook application because you know it's doing nefarious things but if you use that as a blanket policy the energy you save force quitting facebook will probably be deleted by you force quitting every other well-behaved application that would have been just ready to relaunch immediately and pick up where you left off but instead you have to relaunch from a fresh state so doing it as a blanket policy to save battery it's almost certainly a bad idea um now you can get to, so that's the that's I think we're already at triple turns. We're at least out. at least at triple, possibly quadruple turns out. And and the Facebook app is probably a very 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 black swan. There aren't that many apps that are that are being that stupid on purpose. A couple things before I actually make my case about what I think I was trying to say. Um, you I think get so the first time you launch a new app, it's gonna there there are things that it might ask you for. It might ask you for various permissions. This is, in, this is in 2016 anyway. When you launch an app for the first time, it's not unusual for it to say things like, is it okay for me to send notifications? Is it okay to access your contacts? Is it okay um, to... Uh, use the camera, access your photos. Use the camera or access photos. And then there's one. Is there an explicit request to be able to run... Well, here, look, so let me put it this way. I Because of my little weird uh, fitness tracking thing I've been doing... I have noticed that having added more apps in the last few weeks, I'm getting more acquainted with what seems to be a one-time reminder, seems to be a one-time reminder, which is you use an app, use it for a while, you go and visit the app, you you go somewhere else, and you get a pop-up that says something like, uh, App X is using your location in the background. It's kind of one of those weird mystery meat dialog boxes, but it's something like, you can help me here, yep, but, yep, I see but, it, but, it's, but it's something like uh, X, such and such app has been using your location in the background and then your options are like, and they ask, do you want it to, are you, do you want to allow it to keep doing that? But then the answers are really strange. It's like, no, and just when I'm using it or something like that. But yeah, because the, there is, there was an old mode of like, can this application use location services? Yes, no. And then they added a new mode for applications that want to take advantage of it. That has two options. One, this application can use my can use my location, but only when I'm running the application. And right. two, this application can use my location even when I'm not running the application. Which which decision is much easier to understand when you're looking at it in the settings area? In the settings area, right. as as dumb as that and annoying as that section is, it's fairly clear. And you'll see one very handy thing. You'll see the little I don't have my phone in front of me right now, but you'll see the little uh, compass thing that it will let you know is it is this app using your location right now? It'll be solid. Isn't that right? And mm-hmm. if it's been using it recently, like in the last day, if it's used it, show like an outline of the compass arrow, yeah. which is kind of handy. I mean, because to tell you the truth, um, you know, there are apps along the lines of what stuff like Yelp and things like that, that, you know, it'd be nice to know that that thing's always running in the background. So, so my final proviso on this before we get to the fifth, sixth, seventh level turns out is that, you know, I have to say, and nothing against the developers of these apps, but some of these fitness apps are bananas. Um, I had one I was running called, well, I don't want to slag them, but there's an app that I've been using to do step tracking stuff, and it does a combination of tracking your steps, 
keeping track of where you took the steps vis-a-vis the location, and then also like cannily guessing when that was actually like a mini workout. So if you walk for five minutes, that counts as like five minutes of a workout. But think about all that's going on in the background with that. That particular app, there's a mode that you can go to on your phone. If you go to settings, and then you go into... Uh, which section? But there's a section you can go to, and it basically you can see um, how long an app has been running. Is that correct? And you can click on that little clock, and it'll show you how long this thing has been running in the foreground and how long it's been running in the background. Do you ever do that? You ever go in and look like over over one day or seven days? You ever do this? I don't. I never look at that. Let's see if I can don't find want to. it. Um, but this one, it said basically. Something like in the foreground, this has been running for seven minutes, and in the background, it's been running for sixty-nine hours. So <laughs> now, with, now I have to say, with Overcast, Overcast is almost consistently my highest user, my highest uh, you know time app for obvious reasons. Because I mean, I'm listening to podcasts a lot, so I I know that I expect that, and I think Marco has been really good about trying to keep that efficient. So I just want to say, like b- before we get to the ninth level of turns out is that there are even before you have misbehaving apps there are apps that you might be surprised to learn use as much invisible stuff as they do meaning uh you've allowed cellular access and you might be surprised i think i mentioned this on one of those shows recently like i've been burning through like two gigs of, of data a day on lte and i have no idea why the the largest contributor of cellular is ios sync and backup or something like that you know there's that one there's that one giant area at the top don't you disallow backups over it you have the control over this you don't have to allow backups over cellular right well i'm not doing no no i'm not so i'm not doing the like icloud backups but some kind of data sync some kind of icloud sync is what's causing a lot of that but i just wanted to say that like they're just as a tip to folks go in i should probably get the exact names but i would say go in and do a little periodic audit just to go look at what stuff has location access just because you know what if it doesn't need it Maybe you could turn that off. I think that's a sensible piece of advice. If you don't need cellular on for this kind of particular thing, consider maybe turning it off. If it, if it needs it, it'll prompt you. But like those are little things where like you don't have to go be a maniac. But if you want to, if you're going overseas, for example, um, you, you know, if you're going somewhere where bandwidth and battery life are at a premium, you know, you might want to go in and give yourself a little bit of an audit on those things. So but, and that's what you would hope if you go to the Genius Bar. That's what you'd hope they would do is they would go through. They would basically end up setting your phone up like mine is they would go through like my default is off. So nobody gets cellular unless you really need it. Nobody gets location services unless you really need it. And then you just have to talk like just turn everything off and then go application by application. It's like, do you know what this is? No, move on to the next one. Do you know what this is? Yes. Do you actually want to use location? What does that mean? Explain to them what it means. Like they end up with like, OK, I only really care if. This application needs to have a location in the background, and this one needs to have cellular in the background, and everything else should be off. And same thing with notifications, less less of a battery and more of an annoyance thing. Um, instead of the default being, I just tap OK for every dialog box that asks me something because I'm afraid if I don't, I won't be able to use the application. Right, which is the right, mindset right. that a lot of people go in with. On location services specifically, I think this is still the case. I haven't checked recently, but I believe there was a time where to adopt the new API of like, uses location in the background or when running was it was like opt-in so there was still huge numbers of applications that you didn't have that granularity your only option was use location services yes no and that always annoyed me because i like the added granularity and i guess if applications weren't yet updated to do that you just had the single choice and it was you know it was not what you wanted i want to be able to to pick that level of granularity so uh just real quickly so if you go into settings and then click on battery 
You go to settings and battery, and you'll see battery usage. There's a tab for last 24 hours. There's a tab for last seven days. Just for fun, click on last seven days tab, and then hit that little clock face. Oh, I never saw the clock, yeah. Yeah, and so, for example, and <laughs> I, I, I just actually deleted that one app that had the hours and hours and hours in the background. But, like, it'll say, for example, here it says Twitter, 5.2 hours on screen, 42 minutes in the background. Overcast, one hour on screen, 19.6 hours in the background, because I listen to a lot of podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Another interesting one to do if you are worried about your cellular plan, like I increasingly am getting with mine, and you probably know this one, but if you go to the section called cellular on your cellular-enabled device, scroll down a little, you'll see use cellular data for, right? You you know this. And you have a little green tick box. Um, Turn it off for everything. Yeah, I mean, there are, I have almost every single one of these on. So number one, useful to go in and see. Oh my gosh, that's surprising. Since I reset this um, six days ago, you know, Wythings has used 1.6 megs, like not a big deal. Unibox has used 5.4 megs, et cetera, et cetera. Like I say, system services, documents in sync, 363 megs. But that's a good place to go in and do give yourself a little audit. Wi-Fi Assist has not been bad for me some people complain about wi-fi assist but it's i've got 131k that's it it's mostly like probably just checking to see if it can do better yeah i don't really spend much time policing that because we like and we have like a share whole family shared plan i think our whole family has like two gigs a month or something like oh we've got we've no dude we've got we've got a 10 gig plants there's a leak somewhere yeah i don't well, know if it's my I, my wife was wondering if it was her and spotify i think it's something up with my phone because i'll be walking around literally i leave the office and bloop You've just reached 75% of your latest <laughs> overage. And then about, seriously, 15 minutes later, bloop, you've just gone through that. Here's another $15 one gig. So my phone bill was really crazy last month, and I'm not sure why, and I want to figure out why. You definitely use more, I think you use more like document editing services with all your different, you know, I'm I'm editing things on my phone that are cloud sync documents or whether it be drafts or, or notes applications or editorial or things syncing to Dropbox. And I do less of that in my iOS devices, so... Like I said, two gigs for the whole family. And, you know, on my kids' devices, the most important thing is just, you know, no cellular access for YouTube. That pretty much covers, like, <laughs> like all all your bases. I, just Alex has a phone. You know, my daughter doesn't have one yet. Um, but, yeah, if we if we did start running into problems, I, I would go right to these screens. I know the things to police. But in general, I think the, the defaults are Well, I think, I mean, reasonable. it's not the kind of thing most folks think about. And it's not, you know... Oh, God, I, and it just as long as we're being Mac Power users, uh, one really fantastic recent addition that might blow your mind if you don't know it's there. Uh, go to settings, the little gear, and then you pull down a little bit, you, and you get the little magnifying magnifying glass, and it says settings. And you can now search. I don't think most people know this exists. So, like, do a search for anything inside of settings, and it will take you right to the area you want to be in. It's way easier than having to drill through all those different levels. I just tried to tell this to both my son and wife today because the, he was asking where he knows about low power mode, I assume from his, his friends, but he doesn't know where it is on his phone. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's in settings. And he said, where in settings? And I just said, <laughs> just pull down and type low power. Uh, but then I'm, I'm stuck with like, pull down. Do people know what that means? Like, are yeah. they going to look at the bottom? It's the whole swipe down versus swipe up versus pull down versus the, the language involving which direction you should move your finger when it's touching the screen. Anyway. Right now, yeah. Um, yes, that's that's a lifesaver. It was so long in coming. It, it's kind of a shame that it's not always vis- always visible. It's only kind of, it's hidden until you, you know, pull. So with all that helpfulness aside, let's get to reconcile, reconciling our differences. There's no difference here because I covered this. Go ahead. You're not going to make this easy on me, are you? 
You did, did you even, like I said, did you black out or did you, go ahead, go ahead, surprise me. Maybe you'll say something that I hadn't thought of. Go ahead. I think you are saying something or defending something very different from the more useful point I'm trying to tease out. What John Syracuse is saying here, what John Syracuse said last, uh, last recording of that terrible podcast you do was you were just basically up there taking the fifth on how you feel like whatever it is that you said was an accurate, useful, and complete thing. And I'm not, that's not, I'm not trying to debate that point with you. I, I do want to talk about the edge cases, and I want, to, I want to talk about the black box of, like, why in the hell it is that sometimes quitting an app does make a difference. Does that make me feel like I'm a 49-year-old man who's been using a Mac every day since 1987? Do I feel great being held up as the guy who says quit all your apps? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to get you to talk about is what are the bizarro cases that despite all of the octuple turns out nature of this, when are the times when it actually does make a difference? Because I know there are times when it does make a difference. I'm just not even sure which app I quit made the difference. And that's what I wanted to talk about. I don't want to debate you about whether you were right. I want you to help people by explaining that there is a giant asterisk on that very good advice to I, not compulsively quit I, apps. I discussed those asterisks. I discussed all of them. I can go deeper into People don't the listen to that asterisk. show, John. They listen to this show. Uh, anyway. Yes. So, but I agree. Uh, I mean, I agree with you in concept. I think it's all right. It's, so we we already covered one. The one is uh, you have an application because applications can do things in the background. Some are very aggressive about taking every opportunity that they have to run in the background, going so far as to find sort of loopholes right. in the OS's policies about how often you're supposed to do things in the background, and they end up using a lot of your battery. How would you identify that there is a problem app? Do you have a way of knowing apart from just the fact that you're super smart? Like, is there a way that you? would know or suspect there's an app that might be interfering with your phone operating correctly. So I don't think any of the ways that the applications have used so far to do lots of stuff in the background skirt the screens that we just talked about. If you go to the plain old battery usage screen and don't click on the little clock thing, but just look at the battery usage percentage, that's going to give you a pretty clear idea. And if you feel like, boy, Facebook is taking 40% of my battery, but I really don't feel like I'm using it 40% of my battery's worth of the time. Like, it's really just kind of a gut feeling. You're like, am I on Facebook that much? Right. You know, or compare it to an application that you think you're on a lot, like your Twitter client or your mail client. You're like, I'm in messages way more than Facebook. Why is Facebook taking this huge percentage of my battery and messages is like number eight or nine? Right. Um, that gives you, that's, the only thing you do have is a gut feeling because it, whatever app, if you use an app 24 hours a day, it's always going to be the top and you better use. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the app. Is a disparity yeah, between that, that, how much me, you're using it. Yeah, that's me and Overcast. We're like, I'm not surprised that it runs that much because that's like the main Twitter thing you use, right? Tw yeah, Twitter and Overcast I use a lot. But like, for example, well, obviously, I guess the thing we're trying to tease out is that there is good information in your settings screen that you can go and look at. But like, how would you know to look? Uh, barring the ability to go in and search settings and find these things, do you ever get a gut sense sometimes that something might be misbehaving? I tend not to have a lot of misbehaving things on my phone, so I, I, don't, I don't either. I don't, either. I, I don't have that issue, but like I said, it's you always have to compare sort of expectations with uh, with what it is that you're doing. And here, here's the tricky part about that, um, because it's not as if these are hard and fast rules. Just like we talked about the previously when tech people would ridicule anybody for force quitting because they didn't realize they weren't actually quitting anything. Those applications were not running anymore. It was just pictures of icons. And how that changed over the years, That how that same thing is like two years later, that advice is different because the OS has changed. Well, right now... If you force quit an application by flicking it up on the on the task switcher, it will stop it from doing stuff like in the background uh, until you launch it next time or until it gets a silent push notification or until 15 other reasons. 
there's nothing that says in the next version of iOS that might not be the case. In the next version of iOS, flicking the application up might allow it to continue processing the background. So it's not as easy as if you say, I don't feel like I'm using the Facebook application this much battery's worth. So now I'm going to reflexively force quit it. That may not be good advice. You know, at any point, even in a minor update, they may say, oh, actually, now when you force quit, if it's in the middle of doing a background job, we don't do anything. Like, you don't have control over those policies, and those policies change. So there is no hard and fast advice that's going to serve you for, like, your lifetime with the phone. And that's what people want. They want habits that will serve them in the lifetime the same way they learn habits for, like, how to tie your shoes and cross a street that just last from you the want, whole You lifetime. want advice like don't flood the engine. You want one of those pieces of advice that, like, you can right. just use for 30 well, even years. Even that one doesn't work because, you know, all the cars change. But it and did. But like it did dry, work. Everything's but like drive-by-wire. Yeah. And, and when you push when you floor the gas pedal, it's not actually flooding the engine with the gas. Because well, I mean, but that, that, that makes an even better example, though, because that did work for 30 years. It was like, oh, your, the problem is yeah, you're flooding it lasted, the engine. Yeah, it lasted way longer than iOS multitasking advice, right? But, yeah, because because all these things are just arbitrary like they're not you you don't control these policies and they change all the time and regular people can't be expected to keep up with these technical nuances they don't care how it works behind the scenes and even technical people like if you don't stay on top of the the minutiae of how ios works if you're not an ios developer you're never going to know this stuff so that's like a, a blanket caveat for this entire thing that any advice you have at any given moment can change and if you don't stay on top of it you can't keep not only can you should not, not keep telling other people that advice, but you shouldn't keep doing it yourself unless you revisit because what helped before may not help. But anyway, for now, if you force quit it, it will, it will I believe, because I haven't checked up on it in like three months, so maybe it changed in a point release, uh, it will stop it running from the background until the next time you launch well, it. Or but there's also the kind of launch D, not it's the wrong term, but like a launch D-ish component, which is that if you if you quit that app, like you said, there are perhaps 15 other ways that thing could get re-going in yeah, a way without you tapping the icon right exactly and, and if you've given it the thing is that's that's the other part of this the the quintuple uh, turns out part of this is that you quitting it it may not be doing what you think you're doing with it is the other thing like if you've enabled something at a deeper level to say like these kinds of notifications can cause this to happen etc cetera, etc cetera. and in the case of some of these fitness apps like for example there's one that uh similar one to the one that i deleted that gives me this daily pie graph of like how I spent my time, where I was, you know, when I did recreation, when I picked my daughter up at school, it's learning a little bit about me. And when I do this like flicka, 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 quitting thing, I get a pop-up immediately from that one that says, I don't know how it does this, but it gives a pop-up that says either, you know, if you turn off Wi-Fi, it warns you not to turn off Wi-Fi. And if you quit it, it says, you know, this isn't running anymore. It's not tracking what you're doing, which I thought was kind of interesting. I feel like I don't get that in that many apps. Yeah, it all depends on how aggressive you're willing to be and how sort of disrespectful to the, to the user's battery and wishes that you want to be. Because you, within the letter of the law, there are lots of things you can do to make sure that that you know nothing happens on the system without you throwing another dialogue in the user's face to tell them the ramifications of what they've done. Um, at this point, I don't know truth from fiction. Is it true that Facebook was basically sending an audio signal to keep the app alive at one point? That's that's what I heard, and that's a really old trick. And uh, back in the day, Apple was uh, back back before applications had official background processing APIs, where they were like, "You are allowed to do stuff when you're right. when you are not the frontmost." It was just basic memory management. It right? would just right. look at like first in, first out, right? One of the one of the few things that they were allowed to do early on was play audio. So people figured out this is what the copy the copy paste thing that what was it paste bot. Yeah, I figured out how to do is like I need to be running in the background to be able to do my job as like this fake little always running clipboard. So I will just play silence. This was years and years ago they did this. And I, I love Paystop. And, and Apple eventually 
said, no, you can't do that. You are, you're abusing the background audio playing API to keep your application running by merely playing silence. And we don't want you to do that. Um, and fast forward several years and Facebook was, it depends on who you believe. Facebook says, oh, really what it is, is we were failing to close some audio stream because, you know, like Facebook would like auto load video in your, in your timeline. Like, so if someone posted some video to your Facebook feed, I hate it it, so much. And it would create an audio session for the, the auto playing video. I was trying to look, listen to a podcast this morning. This is, I, I have, feel like I have so little control over why, when, and whether this happens. But like sometimes, just for no reason I can discern, just scrubbing past something. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not even hitting it with my finger. But like scrubbing past something on Twitter makes, even if it's a GIF, will like yeah, make audio pause. Because it triggers the like create a new audio session thing, and that takes precedence over your background playing audio from Overcast. Yeah, it's, it's generally antisocial app behavior. But anyway, what Facebook claimed is, that's what was happening, that an audio session was being, being created for either auto-playing videos or videos that were just ready to go as soon as you tapped them, and that when it went into the background, because the audio session was still open, the application kept running. And then the people who think uh, Facebook is nefarious and uh, making stuff up say, you knew what you were doing. You were intentionally making Yeah, Facebook audio was all like, uh, who me, who me? Right. Like, this is just a funny bug that we missed. Right. And who knows what the truth is. But the bottom line is, this, is, this was a behavior that the application was exhibiting to keep it that was effectively keeping it running at times when the users might not have expected to be running, whether it was nefarious or accidental. Uh, that was, I mean, the baseball one was totally nefarious in that, but you know, in that, that, that was a hack to get background processing before their official APIs. Now there are officially APIs, but they have limits, but the audio one, as you know, there's no limit. You could play background audio and it will just keep playing for hours and hours and hours. Uh, unless and you so, use your camera. Yeah. Unless you use your camera and <laughs> because of the live. Photos. I don't know why that makes me so insane, but it does. I know it's the, it same, it's the same situation, crazy. right? So there is some truth to the idea of like, oh, applications may may not realize that they are causing the OS. To it stop doesn't happen on the thing. iPad. It only happens on the iPhone. I think it must be live photo related. Yeah, no, it is because live photo rever- uh, records sound, and yeah. Uh. Well, if I if I um, if I stipulate and seed that you successfully made a brilliant argument and covered all your bases and didn't say anything contradictory. Can I just ask you for tech support? Can I tell you what it is that's happening to me and you can tell me what you think the problem is? Can I tell you what I think is happening to you first? Because I think I know your problem and talked about it on the program that you just to. Memory footprint. So you have a situation where at a certain point you tap an application on your springboard and it just doesn't launch. And the only way you can get it to launch is to go into the multitasking switch or flicking up on everything else, then going back to springboard and tapping the icon and now it launches. Is that your problem? 80 plus percent of the story. Perfect. Yes. It's different apps, different times, different situations, and different amounts of quitting apps may or may not have any impact. And I don't even know which apps make a difference. But what here's the typical example is, and just for what it's worth, I, by the time this comes out, who knows? I've heard this is a somewhat known bug inside Apple that involves an app that got updated and something's all got messed up. But the the, the way that I would try to report it is that I try to launch an app from the homepage. Like frequently, Tumblr is a big one. Nuzzle is another one. But I launch the app and it just poof, doesn't do anything. And I try it again, doesn't do anything. I double click on the home button. I quit a bunch of apps. There's a pretty good chance that'll fix it. If I quit all of them, 80% of the time it fixes it. And if that doesn't fix it, I have to restart. But there are apps that simply will not launch for some reason and it used to be here, like, this used to be fairly simple, I feel like. I feel like it used to be fairly simple, which is, blah, 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 Ginger, something went wrong with your computer, you've got to restart it. Like, I've, I've been used to that for, you know, coming up on 30 years. I know that that's a thing. I know turning it off and on fixes things. 
the thing was then it became it was coming happening so often that I got sick of doing a whole restart, having to re-enter my password, do all of those things. And so I did the unthinkable as a person who considers himself intelligent, which is making a little double click on that button, quitting some apps, and you know what? It would launch after I quit a bunch of apps. That that's the, the so did I describe that in a way that makes sense, even if it's not for a good reason? Like yeah, you, you understand what I'm describing? I know. Uh, that's yes, I know. Okay. That's, so I, I frequently, like very, very frequently, Tumblr, Nuzzle, some other apps. But but I, I, I the thing is though, I don't want to fault the app. I don't know if that's Tumblr's fault. I feel Probably, like it's almost one certainly of, not. Almost certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's one of the apps that's running or something else that's causing yeah. that. So the way it's supposed to work, the way iOS is supposed to work, in broad strokes, the way it has always worked in the times when you've been able to have more than one application in memory uh, at a time. Is that uh, the applications that are that are not the frontmost application are suspended if they're not doing background processing? They're still in memory, but they're not they're not running. Uh, if you've ever used Unix from the command line, it's similar to how you can suspend a process that you're running in a shell, and it's still it's still there. You run PS, you can still see it, but it is not actually running. It's got zero percent CPU. It is suspended, right? So, you, so mm-hmm. you can resume it, and it won't have to reload the application. It just picks up right where it left off, right? Um, the way iOS is supposed to work is whatever you're doing in the foreground, as it needs more memory, uh, if there's no more memory to give because the suspended applications, remember, they're still using memory. The suspended applications still have their memory or whatever. Uh, iOS doesn't have, it has virtual memory, but it doesn't have swap, which is, oh, you mm-hmm. need more memory. And the right. processes that are currently using it uh, are using all the memory. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one of those processes, or not process, but they're going to do it on a page level. We're going to take some mem- some contents of RAM and write them out to quote-unquote disk, which would be flash in the case of the iPhone. And then you, the process that wants this memory, now you can use it because that other application, you know, is suspended in the background anyway, or it hasn't used that memory in a while or whatever. Um, iOS doesn't have that. iOS just has... It, it does have virtual memory, which is a different concept in terms of mapping from virtual addresses to physical addresses, but it doesn't have a place to put memory temporarily onto disk so you can use that memory for something else. So when all the RAM is spoken for by processes that are either suspended or running, and the running process wants more memory, the only choice uh, iOS has, well, it has a couple of choices. The first thing it does is it tells that the other applications, uh, you can get a message uh, in your application that says, the OS would really like you to be using less memory. Um, so here's your chance to free up any memory that you may have been keeping around for like performance reasons, like you're keeping these pictures in memory so they would scroll smoothly or whatever, but you get a message that says, could you use less memory, please? And your application can respond to that message by saying, oh, I'll go through all my temporary crap and purge this stuff. And like, whatever you're holding onto memory for, if you can get rid of some memory, get rid of it. If you don't do that, you may in the very near future, get another message that, that, uh, I don't know if there's two levels of this or whatever, but eventually the OS will say, all right, I gave you a chance. We need memory. <laughs> I, You're not the I, I, I did ask nicely. Yeah, I asked once. Now you're just getting killed, right? And it will, it will, the, the OS will kill that process. And when it kills that process, the memory that it was using will be available for other things. And so no matter what you do with launching a whole bunch of applications, when you go back to Springboard and tap on Tumblr or Nuzzle or one of these applications that's supposed to launch, if there's not enough memory available, the way the system is supposed to work is it's going to say, all right, I got you, though. There's a bunch of other stuff that is not currently in the foreground because you're staring at Springboard. I'm going to kill off those guys, and now you should have enough memory to run, right? Mm. Like, your application, to launch it, it demands memory. The memory isn't available. It goes through the applications and gets rid of them until there's enough memory for you, right? I don't know what's causing the bug you're seeing. It could be a million things having to do with the OS, but 
One plausible scenario, vaguely plausible scenario, I would hope they would account for this, is memory fragmentation, where, uh, or, or not memory fragmentation, but let's put it more simply, that the OS thinks that there is ample memory for your application, but so it doesn't go through the process of finding things in the background and killing them. It just says, oh, no, you're you're good. You want this amount of memory? This amount of memory is totally available to you there. But, but it's, like, it's speaking, almost like it's it's like bad accounting. No, it could be bad accounting. could just be a, a plain bug. Fragmentation would be like if you needed a contiguous block of memory, it's not available. I have to think this can't be the bug because this is the type of thing they must have handled a million times over, and memory fragmentation is handled by the OS or whatever. But anyway, again, plausibly speaking, like the system is not working the way it's supposed to. So it tries to launch the application, and some point during the application launch procedure, an attempt to allocate memory fails. Why didn't the OS free up memory for it? Why did the why did the allocation fail? Like something is not working the way it's supposed to. It's a bug. It's not a it's not a feature of the system. It's not a design flaw. It's just the things aren't working the way they're supposed to. And if during launch a memory allocation fails, your application ain't launching. And there's not a lot of UI in iOS to show you error messages when applications fail. They just chuck you back to Springboard because that's mm-hmm. the way iOS works, right? I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but that would be an example of a scenario that could happen where the system that's supposed to be freeing up memory is not working the way it's supposed to, and that's why force quitting applications would fix it because you're not relying on whatever you know the, the system to do what it's supposed to do because clearly right. it's failing for some reason. You say, "I'll take this into my own hands." Force quit, force quit, force quit. Now, when I launch the application and ask for memory, that memory allocation thing succeeds. It could be again. It could be a million other things. Could be totally unrelated to memory whatsoever. So but. it's it's almost like when I do that, I'm sort of strong arming this thing that I had been sort of taking on the strength, like that this thing's going to be able to take care of these allocations for me. And when you, when you quit those apps, you're kind of, um, not pseudo quitting. Like you're, you're you're really forcing it. You're being the OS because like what's supposed to happen and what happens 99.9% of the time is, Oh, you need memory and some suspended application is using it. I will get it for you. The OS Mm. will get the memory for you by either asking that application to relinquish some memory or by just killing the application. And then the, that memory goes back into the, 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 uh, to be available for other applications. Then it gets allocated to you and everything works fine. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, it could be that the application is crashing due to some other bug, that has nothing to do with memory allocation, and that bug doesn't happen when other applications aren't running. Like, there's a million things it could be, so don't take what I'm saying as, like, I'm explaining why this bug works, uh, yeah. happens to you, but, but what I'm saying is that bugs in the system that is supposed to manage resources and just, you know, and share them across the various applications can very easily cause the symptoms you're seeing. And by you sort of, like, doing what the OS should have done by itself, you're working around that bug. Now, why is it that sometimes when you force quit everything, you still can't launch it? Uh, that could argue that happens. For, I'll get down to that last card where it does a little like flip back over thing, like oh, and it, yeah. and it still won't go. And yeah. that that's when I got to do the uh, hold down the buttons, right? And so that that means that you know it could be a deeper error where if it is memory related, that the entire system of memory allocation is just hosed, and maybe it just got <laughs> fragmented to the point where it can't like. Well, that this is how I've been habituated is that I, I'm used to that happening. Um, I mean, I think I exaggerated saying it's ten times a day, but I mean it is. Recently, something's gotten better. I don't know what, but something is different in the last uh, week or two. It has gotten better. But, you know, two of my long-standing crazy-making things. The, the crazy-making thing three months ago that eventually mostly went away was bugging me for my iCloud password every single morning no matter what. That seemed to go away. Um, the it's other, just moving around because other people got it now, including me. Um. Okay, so side sidebar, when you go to settings and click on iCloud and then click on your ID, 
Should it always prompt you for a password? Does see? It seems like if you've recently entered your password in iCloud, it says View Apple ID. You get that, you know, that series of options. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you you go, you know, what I'm talking about you go to settings, you click on iCloud, you get your little icon, and you click on that. Like, I, I eighty plus percent of the time, I get a prompt with a pop up to enter my iCloud password. Whereas, if I very recently entered that password, I instead get a little pop up with an array of options for do you want to you know view apple id log out etc the fact that 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 prompts me for the password does that mean that it's being is that an abundance of caution on apple's part or does that mean it really forgot me because it seems to keep doing backups and stuff yeah i don't i would imagine that it's the type of i don't know what the policy is in that but a lot of other policies and a sensible policy is even after you log in and you see this on e-commerce sites a lot too even after you've successfully logged in if you want anything, do anything related to your account, yeah. they always prompt you again to enter yeah, it's your cl- classic, classic Amazon is you get like, there's the top layer of public stuff. There's this layer of fairly not that interesting like menu level stuff in accounts. But if you actually want to go in and like look at your gift certificates or your orders, it'll re-prompt you to log in. Right. And that's trying to avoid like session hijacking where you log in, someone hijacks your session. And now right, they have full, right, right. full rights as you. It's like, no, prove once again that you really are who you are. I assume that policy on the setting screen of like, all right, you're, you're logged into iCloud. We're doing your backups where we are, you're able to play your DRM purchases. Like you're totally logged in. Yeah. My, photo, my photos your, work. My messages mostly yeah. work. Like everything seems to be working. Yeah, because those all those applications have like application specific tokens that validates that they're allowed to do specifically what oh. they're allowed to do. But then when you go into like, oh, I want to go into my Apple ID, it's like just one more time. Are you really who you say you are? It annoys me that it never lets me do Touch ID for those. That's what annoys me. Are you getting are, so so seriously? Are you are you getting that? Are you getting the morning prompts? Not morning, but they happen all the time. They happen on my wife's phone. They happen on my phone. It's like, why are you asking for me for my password now? There is no rhyme or reason why you're asking me. It freaks me the hell out. We went on a hike. Sunday before last. I don't know why. John, I don't know why it is that my phone rings, my texts go off. This is totally the ultimate availability heuristic. Nobody in the world cares anything about me until I'm doing something I actually care about with my family, and then everything blows up. We walk out to go do a hike. <laughs> so you were here recently. We're in the Marin Headlands, right? Just just north of the bridge. Getting ready to go on a little, little uh, I think it was probably Mother's Day, a little family hike. We literally get out of the car, and the pop-up I got on my phone it was something along the lines of, you need to ch- your something about my Apple no something about my my uh, code on the phone that I had to change it within like twenty minutes or something like that or change it within <laughs> an hour. Have you ever gotten this? I've never gotten that one. This no. is a thing that people get, and I'm sitting there and like, oh great. So now, oh you girls, go ahead and start hiking toward the beach. I'll take care of my I- iPhone security mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. like like <laughs> uh, what not LTE. Not 4G, like I'm practically a, a on one e. exit show. I'm practically like on E edge, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm edging my. So, what's the perfect time to decide you're going to really make some good decisions about your security? <laughs> is when you barely got a, uh, a connection with your family. Those things freak me the hell out, and like I just feel like every time I get one of those prompts, that does not make me feel more secure. It I don't. It doesn't exactly make me feel less secure, but it makes me suspicious. It's like my first feeling is ah, spear phishing. Like ah, what's happening? Why am I getting pop ups? Like I don't. I, I don't get why that happens. I saw the the article that went around a lot this week. Did you see the article that went around about? You know, so many of us have been wondering about like what is the Talmudic voodoo behind suddenly needing to enter your uh, the code for your iOS device. Like you wake up in the morning. Oh yeah, used the, numer- it, the numeric code or your password. Right, you, you or used whatever. it nine hours earlier, and now it gives you this nasty gram about how you've got to enter it because reasons. Right, and the reason 
I think the reason there's confusion is because, again, like the, the word on the street in the common wisdom very early on was 48 hours. If you haven't unlocked it with Touch ID in 48 which, hours. Which you, I think makes perfect sense. It makes perfect to, sense. You have to enter your code, right? Well, the original, the original conventional wisdom I heard was if you haven't like used it in a certain amount of time. Like at all, I think that makes a hundred percent sense along the lines of like, oh, I, you know, like a Serenity Caldwell, like I dropped it at a rest stop. Well, thank God. I think that's awesome that if somebody found it, they automatically, you know, add an extra layer of security. But this one was like, if you haven't entered the code in X hours, it prompts you to, is that right? Yeah, well, so here's the thing about that. Like the original, the original 48 hours or 24 or whatever it was, it's like someone heard it somewhere and then a million people repeated it. And if it was ever true, it doesn't really matter because policies like that can change all the time, including in little point releases. And the most recent story that went around is, oh, you may not know this, but the most recent point release, the policy is actually really complicated. And it the, the new policy, according to this article, is such that you could use your iPhone just before going to bed. Go to sleep for eight hours, wake up, and it will uh, demand that you – it will say you can't unlock this with Touch ID anymore. You got to enter, you enter your big code. That's my iPad three times a month. Yeah. Right. And so – and, you're, and it makes people feel better, like, oh, I thought it was 48 hours and my iPad was broken, but now that I've learned the policy is different, somehow they feel better. It's still doing the same annoying behavior as it was before, just now that you have an explanation for it. Whether the explanation is true or not, because I'm not entirely – I think someone linked to an Apple knowledge base article talking about it. But but policies like that, the specific policies of, like, when does it lock and when – that stuff can change all the time. All that really matters to me is how annoying it is to me. I don't care if there's an explanation for the policy. You know, like the same thing. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a switch in setting that says use uh, Touch ID for iTunes purchases, and I have it yes, and yet fifty percent of the purchases I make, I have to enter my password. Yeah, but like the thing is, this is this gets us sort of uh, into the whole like TSA security theater problem. Um, what is it you look at in? Is it in console? What's the thing where you can watch? Oh God, I haven't done this in years. But like where you can basically see, um, like knocks on your on your network like where you can see like where somebody tried something you're something like little, little snitch to insist there's little your, little snitch yeah little snitch will really freak a person out but there's somewhere i want to say in console or you know it might be a log in airport but there's somewhere where you can go all i remember is the first time i did that it was really alarming because it was like something out of a out of the matrix like out of some 90s movie because basically 24 7 it looks like people are knocking and so here's the thing i mean <laughs> That does it does not instill an extra sense of security for some nervous security guard to come up with his shaky Don Knotts gun and go, everything's still okay. There was almost somebody here, but now everything's fine. The problem is like when something pops up and you don't know why it popped up, that does not any more than like somebody getting randomly pulled out of line in the TSA makes me feel more secure. Like let me know if something very important happened, but explain what happened. Like just having these mystery meat like and, I, you know, it could be a bug. It could be a change in policy, like you say. But that, that does not make me feel more secure in an age where we're all very hopefully getting more habituated to worrying about or noticing, like, weird requests. I don't like a weird request on my iOS device. Yeah, we're so we're so habituated by all our devices to just serve the machine, click OK, enter the password when prompted. That The only thing saving iOS is that it's actually fairly difficult to fake an iOS dialogue of any kind that just pops up randomly. Like the, the third-party applications essentially don't have the power to do that 
unless there's some horrendous bug or they found some amazing exploit. Like, it's yeah, not what about part of, what about the provision thing? Moltz was telling me about the provisioning. Do you know about this? Yeah, yeah, the enterprise provisioning profiles. Yeah. Oh that's, my god, that's horrifying. Well, I mean, but but the thing is, enterprises want that power. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like your little kid is playing a game. You click a link in the game. The game takes you to a website. The website says, "Get you know." Yeah, it prompts th- you to install your enterprise yeah, get provisioning six, profile. Six thousand extra, you know, uh, Zelda coins if you click yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, but like I'm saying, like that feature exists because that's exactly the power enterprises want over the phones that their employees have. Right. Uh, the fact that the same system can be used to trick your kid into installing the enterprise provisioning profile for Nefarious Corporation X, and now they've totally got access to your phone. Yes, that- <laughs> Nefarious Corporation X. Yeah, it's a bad name for a company. Don't. don't yeah, I'm gonna have to workshop that. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I think the worst thing for the, the password dialogs box is not change in policy. It's not the habituation. It is that every time I see an, an inexplicable prompt for my password on any of my devices or all on other people's devices, it makes me think your software is buggy. It, there is no policy that explains this. It's like, I just entered that password and it worked. And now you're asking me again, why are you even prompting me for this? I'm just on Springboard. Why the hell is a dialogue popping up when I'm on Springboard doing absolutely nothing asking for my iTunes password? It happens to family members and they say, oh yeah, why is this asking me for a password? And the answer is, I have no freaking idea. I, you know, and that makes me think your software does not work right. That's what, you know, and not that, not that I'm the, the training people to enter their passwords because I feel like, you know, what choice do they have? Like, oh, no, I, I go the other, I run the other way where I'm like, I just want to, I'm just like shut it all down. Or like, or like, for example, like my daughter, like suddenly my daughter was not on Apple Music anymore. And I don't think she took the time to go in and log out. But something happened where like I had to go completely back through the entire thing to log her back in. I don't know why. I mean, the truth is, you tell me if this is the truth. It seems to me that the truth is that there's so many different silos that, they want to err on the side of if something looks a little fishy algorithmically in all of these. I mean, do you think it's a straight up bug or do you think it's an algorithmic? Uh, I think it's a straight up bug. I don't think it's abundance of caution. I don't think it's like, oh, we think you don't think it's like lo- fraud. It's not like fraud protection, that kind of thing. No, I, I don't think it's like losing track. Of, like, oh, I, like, I, I feel like now is a good time to reauthenticate because things are not exactly as I expect them to be. And just to be safe, I'll reauthenticate it. What it seems to me is like there are many parts of the system that once successfully authenticated are supposed to continue working and that at various points don't and lose the plot. And, and as far as they're concerned, it's not like there's some conditional code that says, if things are not exactly as you expect, reprompt for password. It's more like there's just this plain old code that says, hey, if you're not authenticated, prompt for a password. And then at a certain point, the application gets into a state where it thinks it's not authenticated anymore. It doesn't, right. it's not doing it at, you know, at like this is some cautious checking here. Like, again, I'm speculating, but like it happens so frequently. It's just, as far as the app, I think all they're they're just executing their like initial setup or like triggering a framework that doesn't have the API. and it just it, it drives me bonkers because I can I know this can work well. I use so many Google products, including their web products, where when you're signed in, you're signed in, man. Well, and it's but you know with Google, it's it, the the nice thing about Google, and this is something Craig Hockenberry has been talking a lot about. You know how, all the like the different patterns for logins that you see as an Apple developer. Yeah, I thought that's very interesting. But like, here's the thing with the Google login: the, under logging into a Google dev, like a, a Google account, it it's a very sensible thing. Somebody says, "Hey, look, do you want to log in via Google?" And I say, "Yes." It takes me to a screen that is obviously a Google screen. Well, whether or not it is, we'll find out in a minute. But that looks like a Google screen. I enter my password. It always does exactly the same thing. It takes me to another screen where it says, "Now enter your password." Exactly the same screen. I enter my password. What's the? Do you tell me what the third screen is? Third screen. Go to your uh, authenticator. Go to your Google Authenticator. 
get this code and put it in. It's always exactly the same every time, and it never <laughs> it never just randomly pops up in the middle of the internet for no reason. Yeah, and once you're once you're signed in, you you stay signed in until it, it either times out or like like it's not it's explicable. It works the way you would think is that something needs sign in. I sign into it. I'm signed in until I until I sign you've, out. You've, or I you've out. blessed you've blessed this device service combination and said like like when I'm here, that's okay. This is good. Right. And and it's the it's it's like it's like weather. It's like what is the iCloud authentication weather of the day? Cuz like you'll have bad weather and all of a sudden you get a flurry of these dialogues and you haven't done anything different. Maybe you're not even doing anything. It's like where are these dollars coming from? You're reauthenticating things that you know you've authenticated that have worked fine. There's no and again, there's no information in the dialogue and you may not even be using that application. And then other things, you'll use it for a month and you'll never get prompted. But but I mean, it's just that- weather. But like I, I don't know how you can not feel nervous. Maybe I'm being a little bit of a nerd, but I don't know how you can not feel nervous and uncomfortable when you're not sure why it's kicking up a login request, and there's absolutely no context for what it is you're logging in for. You ever do this? How about this? How about this? Like, okay, so you ready for this happy, healthy habit, Tim Hook, Tim Cook? Before I go to the App Store, I go to One Password, I open it up, and I copy the password for my Apple ID that I use for purchasing media. Why do I do that? Because pretty much, no, even though Touch ID should work fine, right, right John? Should even work fine. Even though setting is checked, doesn't matter. Oh, it's, it's always checked. But I pretty much know 75% of the times I go there, it's going to want me to enter my password in a pop-up no matter what. That's Congratulations, Tim. I'm habituated. I do that now. Like that, That's how that works. But you know what? That is a weirdness that I can even anticipate. But when you start getting a flurry of pop-ups... Especially when you know that there's a there are consequences to getting these things wrong. You log into PayPal wrong enough times, and there's going to be problems. You log into your bank wrong enough times. You log into your phone wrong enough times, and there's going to be problems. Like that little bit of security hygiene has made us better about understanding. Like, hey, let's make sure this is important stuff. Let's enter into a state where we're going to do security things. Right? It's going to be a very prayerful moment where we're going to be very mindful and we're going to do password things and all of our devices will be here and all of our backups. I've got my codes over here in one password. I'm a monk of security right now. And so if your device suddenly starts throwing up requests for logins just whenever for wherever, that's horrible. What I mean, like, what are you supposed to glean from that? What are you supposed to be doing differently when that happens? It makes me extremely suspicious. It makes me want to go and like shut everything down. Since you're copying and pasting your password from one password, maybe you've had this experience too, which is another bad iCloud weather type of thing, where you'll get the prompt, explicable or otherwise. You will enter your password into it. The prompt will immediately come back. You will enter your password into it. The prompt will immediately come back. I've gotten four or five or six of those. Right. You'll enter your, and eventually it will work, especially if you're pasting your password. Now, yep. in many cases, like, oh, you mistype your password. We're all humans. The, the, the keyboards are tiny. Sometimes you mistype it. Yeah, you can't it tell or whatever. But if you're pasting your password, oh, I yeah. suppose you could still fat finger it. But at a certain point, this happens enough times, you're like, look, I am not this bad a typist with my password, especially since I've been trained to type it a million times, right? Yeah. Or I'm not this bad a paster. I'm not accidentally hitting the keyboard when I'm holding down to do the paste, right? That many times. Eventually, you realize 
Sometimes it just doesn't work. And that's not reassuring either, is it? I enter my no. correct password and immediately repro- Or maybe something else is prompting me. What? I don't know. Maybe it's seven things that are prompting me in the row and they're all being successful. There's and, no and, information. And especially to, if you have, have you. more than one, if you have more than one Apple ID or more than one iCloud ish address, like I have an address that I use for media. I have another that I use for my straight up personal iCloud stuff. And so like I know, like if I'm going to go do a media thing, I get my media password and I'm all ready. Like I'm all ready. I'm Talmudic. I'm ready to go to the soup, not, soup Nazi and enter my password and be very reverent about this experience. That's all going to be great. But you know what's happened to me sometimes? I, I start getting the pop-up. I get the pop-up. I get the pop-up a third time and I go, oh, crap. Now they're asking me for like a different iCloud one. And I'm like, what are you asking me about this for? Is this for photo access? Is this for music access? This stuff has stakes. And for us to take this seriously, like they have to seem as sensible and reverent as we are. And that's the part that makes me a little bit manic sometimes is like, you know what? I'm bought in. I understand. Like I, you guys, all you tech companies have me terrified about doing this wrong. I'm trying really hard. But when the service itself does not take it, seem to take it as seriously. And, I, and, and from what you're saying and what I'm gleaning, it's because it can't take it that seriously. If it's a bug... If it's just that it failed some test and it keeps kicking it up until it works, how's that any different than like Fonzie hitting the top of the jukebox? Yeah, and and, all that, and like getting back to Google and their their consistency and all this stuff, like I don't think it's that high of a bar. There are plenty of services, especially web ones, because mostly what I'm interacting with and passwords that's not iOS uh, or even the Mac for that matter, for the most part. But like, I'm never prompted to enter my Google password at an unexpected time. It is always at an expected time because I am logging in, because I'm using my Google thing to log into some other service, because I have logged out, like at always at an expected time. And every time I do it and enter my password correctly, I get logged in. Like, that's it. It's not a high bar. Don't prompt me unexpectedly. And when you do prompt me and I enter the correct password, log me in and keep me there until whatever policy expires and unexpected is like and i don't know what google's policy is for timeouts i really have no idea but i've never in in any time i can remember been surprised to see that i'm being prompted for a google password this is even with weird situations where i have like a google account at work and one at home and you can pick different accounts log into and i can log into my kids google accounts always at expected times in expected scenarios and whereas ios it is always unexpected and inexplicable and it's impossible to distinguish the bugs from the features from the policies from anything else uh and and the bottom line is it's too much i'm being asked to enter my password too many times so it's a nuisance it's inexplicable it makes me think they're bugs um and it comes and goes in waves in behavior that reminds me of good and bad weather it just it it just does not give a good impression yeah i think you're putting it that google comparison really helps a lot because uh like i think it does help a lot that the google thing is so like you say it's so dependable like once you're logged in that works until you tell it to stop working or until the policy causes it to expire but it's also it's incredibly sane and similar you know there's going to be email address password enter in six digit code do is it okay allow do you want to allow these permissions and then you're in the app but that never pops up for no reason here, I'm, this might sound overly subtle, but here's the other thing is like, like, so for example, like it might seem strange to you that if you go to a site where you use Google or Facebook to log in and it seems to be like prompting you a lot to like re-log in, like that would be weird because Google never does that, right? Like it works really well, but let's make it even weirder. Let's make it that whatever device you're using, there's a pop-up that says log back into Google. 
you'd be like, log what back into Google where? Do you know what I mean? Like if you if your device suddenly popped up a thing that said, uh, hey, it's time to log back into Facebook, wouldn't that make you feel suspicious? And like, doesn't that seem kind of weird and random? It's out of context. It's not it's not prompted by anything you think you did. It's just that something somewhere probably used to be logged into this thing because it's saying log back into, but now is no longer. And why is it no longer? You know? Right. Whereas, you see where I'm going with this, whereas on iOS, it's not out of the realm of possibility to be doing what feels like virtually anything anywhere on your iOS device and be presented with an official-looking Apple pop-up that says, enter your iCloud password. Like, right. it's not out of the realm of possibility. That could pop up almost anywhere. And you know what? Dimes to donuts, most of these dinglings who know that password by memory, God bless them, they'll probably enter it in because I told them to on their iOS device. Right. And like I said, the only thing protecting it is the fact that it's really hard to throw up a fake one of those on iOS these days. For now. For now. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, but, but if, if but it you would not accept that, you would not accept that anywhere else. If no, you were no, anywhere like said, on not, the web, not even, not even on the Mac, like arbitrary uh, dialogs asking for my admin password. Like they come up when you're installing an application or running an application. Like you, there's an action that, that precedes it. You're not just staring at a web page and all of a sudden, bloop, a dialog box pops up that says enter your admin password. You'd be like, wait a second. Right. And on iOS, and like the impression I get on iOS is that, like, like I said, when you get the five things in a row, because they look identical, it's impossible to tell whether you had five failures followed by a success or whether you had five different things all prompting you serially to reauthenticate, all of which were successful. Right. Because the second one that comes up looks just like the first one, and there's no other text. So I don't know which one of those situations is the truth. They could both be truth. But either way, it's almost as if it's like server-side, someone invalidated all of your sessions, and all of a sudden you have to re-sign into every single service that's in the background. And maybe that's what's happened. Like, there's all sorts of scenarios that would explain the behavior, but it's there's no way to tell which one of those is true. Like, it's the distinction between, like, there's N, like, there's more than one things I have to do right here. Like like the basically these these uh, five things I have to log back into, but it's indistinguishable whether you're knowing I'm one click away from being done with five things, or I'm one click away with locking myself out of my account because exactly, I tried too yeah. many times. Yeah, it does not say so. And I, you know I'm not trying to like problematize this, but there's not a pop up. I'm trying to think of an example of like where this happens, but um, <clears throat> but you know there it's not unusual on a computer or in some kind of environment for it to say in that case. Okay, for example. Like you sometimes see things where in a pop up where you'll it'll uh, like where it's asking you for enhanced permissions and it's telling you why, but that's not doing that here. It's like it's not telling you what this is about and what it's for, and that feels dangerous. Yeah, and it's such a contrast with the ones we just discussed, where you launch an application and it throws dialogues, and you're like, "This application would like access to your photos." This, even those are like, "Well, why do you want access to my photos, my contacts?" But it's still clear. You took an action, even if it's just launching the application. It's clear who the asker is. It's pretty clear why they're asking. And in general, I don't see an application that I had previously given access to my photos asking again. Once I give it access yeah. to my photos, it has access to my photos, and I can turn that on and off, and you know, so on and so forth. But I don't see that. I don't see like. You know, I gave this application access to my, I gave the camera application, not the camera application, but anyway, I gave a third party camera application access to my photos. And once a month, it asked me again for access. It just That just does not happen, right? That's how all authentication should work. I, you know, I gave you access to this thing, you get an application specific token, and you've got it. Like, uh, even like the Gmail iOS application, I can't remember the last time I logged into that. Like, maybe if I deleted it from my phone and reinstalled it or something, but like, Every morning when I tap it, it launches and I'm already logged in because I already did that. I did that once. 
Yeah. I was talking to uh, one of the moms at school who had sent out this apologetic email. Like, she's like, uh, ignore, you know, ignore my last email. Like, don't click on anything. And then, of course, there was a cascade of lots of people sending out the same email going like, ah, like, don't click on the things you got from me. They're not from me. And, you know, some kind of like a, what, spear phishing? Like, I don't know what you call it. But basically, like, something happened. Her account was compromised. And, I, you know, I sought her out. And I was like, uh, you know, uh, f- you know, mom of my daughter's friend, I'm really sorry. Like, and I was trying to, like, suss out, like, how bad she could tell the damage was. And I was like, you know, in that instance, I don't know if you can still do this easily, but there's a nice feature to Gmail in particular that I always thought was very cool. And it used to be at the bottom of every page. Do you remember in Gmail, there was, a, I think it was at the bottom of every page, it would show you the last IP that it accessed it. And there was basically a log out of every Gmail. That feature still exists. Uh, I think it may, not, may not be at the bottom of every page. I've done it with my parents because they have the same situation where someone gets into oh, their account, yeah. they set up forwarding, you can log out of all sessions everywhere, you can see what, who the... It, mine says the last account activity, but yeah, there's a details link. Let's see well, what it's it's a little bit confusing because like, you know, if you're running a CMS somewhere that's looking at... It'll be yeah, confusing. It, show, but, it shows the browser, it shows the location, the IP address, the time, like you can see all but, this but stuff. But like, here's, here's the thing. Like, uh, you, you know, people say whatever about Google, but in that case, like if you have a concern about that, you can go... And hit one panic button. I don't think it's as easy. I don't think it's as easy to decredentialize every app. Is it? Uh, it's a sign, the button says sign out all other web sessions. If you wanted to decredential every app, you'd have to go to your main Google ID settings and you'd see all them listed. And this maybe right. not one button, but you could delete all of them. But yeah, they 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 make it as easy as possible. A regular person is not going to find this, but if talking, having done this, if you're talking to, trying to help someone through this, it's easy to talk them through where to find right. this and what to do. And and the ironic part of that is that I, you know, on the one hand, okay, so I have to I have to say in terms of disclosure, like I have a a pants pooping fear about a, a compromised Gmail account just because you hear, I don't know if it's still true, but you would hear the horror stories about like G- Google as a company is not super into helping you out if something went wrong for whatever reason with your Gmail account, which I think is very scary. Well, that's why you've got the the backup email address and the, the one-time authentication codes that you keep in a lock safe well, somewhere I just, I just mean like this, I'm talking about just the stories you hear from people about a compromised account and Google's like, sorry, I can't help you. It's that, that's it, end of story, just because there's so much stuff in there. With that said, like if I had to go in and basically light the <laughs> – what is it? Light a match? What, what do they say? Light a match, uh, light, light the place up? What are they saying, goodfellas? Uh, you light a match, you, uh, Oh my God. Yeah. That, that you, yeah. J- j- you light a match is the line, but I can't think of the line that comes after it. But like with Google, you bust the like, place out, bust the place out. That's the thing. Uh, it's a tragedy, but, but you, you bust the place out like with Google, like I actually don't feel that concerned. Like, if I had to bust the place out, worst case scenario, I have to go back and log in to stuff. But I don't in my gut have the feeling that Google would be deeply confused about me trying to log back in. I have a feeling like I could be okay. I could pull, I could hit the big red button and say, close all these sessions because I have concerns. And I, I, I honestly feel like, you know, I could probably deal with that. I don't have that same confidence with Apple. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing with Apple, even with like two-factor authentication. Enabling two-factor authentication at all you think would heighten security, but then you're worried like it's going to make it so that your entire world doesn't work anymore. 
Oh, I'm, I'm terrible. This has been, dis- I think Fraser Spears was talking about this on Twitter. Well, they have two kinds of two factor. They have two factor and, and what is it? Two, yeah. right, the other one. <laughs> two device authentication or something? Two step. Two step and two, and two factor. Two factor. Yeah, that's one of those things where you really want to understand that before you commit too much to that. And like watching Fraser like think about that in public with like what goes in, like in the Slack channels that I think we're both in, people talking about like what goes in here, what goes in there. Um, yeah, because the thing is, if you can't get to your phone, like, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> that's yeah. the thing. I mean, that that's the hedge against all these things is like most things have tons of backup stuff. So that's where it comes in handy to have a spouse or someone that you actually trust or you can have their backup phone numbers, backup email accounts, just so many lines of defense. Like I said, the, the one-time codes. It's pushing all this stuff to OS ten too. Like, <laughs> you know, when it's sending like a bunch of these sorts of two-factor things because of sms forwarding are like going to yeah, all yeah, these different yeah. devices and it's like well is that really such a great lockbox in that case yeah uh oh god i'm sorry we can't put this out this is too boring but you know with the apple stuff they the irony of this is and i say this i'm i'm bitching because i i love this company and i love the promise of what they're trying to do and right now as we stand here today like like what 10 days after Google iOS, like we stand here today with this weird landscape where Apple still continues to have a leading position as the people who literally don't want your data. They don't want to know what you're doing, right? I feel like they have short of like the open source community, like Apple has a pretty strong dedication to keeping you safe and secure, but like they are not leading. They're not giving me a high level of confidence that they're dealing with that stuff well and competently, and that gives me the shakes a little bit. Because yeah. it, it is it is a differentiator in the market. And I think it's, we're probably like, you know, <laughs> about two more big data dumps away from this meaning a lot to people. And I think Apple is in a position to capitalize on that. But like when you're getting mystery meat pop-ups, that would be totally unacceptable on any other advice uh, device. So like, you know, why is that okay with Apple? Yeah, the power, the power of your Apple ID, as has been demonstrated and brought to the front of all our minds by the various stories about the hacks. Matt where like, where, Yeah, where you realize like that your Apple ID is the key to so many kingdoms and that because of all the remote capabilities, if someone compromises that, not only do they get all your stuff and your information, they actually erase your devices right out from under you like because they have control and if your devices are connected to the internet they can just wipe them all one by one as you sit there and you know like before you can do anything right uh, like it's such it's such a long arm of the law or, <laughs> that they can that it's so incredibly powerful and there's not the uh corresponding comfort that it's like a little miniature fortress and i compare it to like the google account which google over the years has gone from like oh you have a, a, a you know first there's no password because google is a search engine and then that you can have an account on gmail and then they combine it into the google account and they just keep iterating and iterating till now it's like sign into your google account and there's this whole little fortress of google account where you can go there and see everything about your google account and do all sorts of security audits and it's like it's the one and only big place and like you said every time you deal with google account Everything looks and feels the same, which is could be a superficial thing, but you have faith that there's like a single central authentication service for all Google services. And of course, Google uses it all in their services, and it's so good they can use it to log into third-party services. And it's like this Google account that I can nail down, that I can assess, that I can look at, it feels like a secure, well-known fortress thing, right? Apple mm-hmm. ID is even more powerful than a Google account in, in the lives of people who have tons of Apple devices, and yet it feels like this totally fragmented, mysterious, uh, sometimes enemy, sometimes half-broken weird <laughs> thing, right? 
Yeah. You know, the fact that people are afraid to enable two-step or two-factor authentication for an account that is so important to them because they're afraid that by doing that it will get even more broken shows that they have not successfully, like, the concept of an Apple ID is good and they're trying to make it so you can use your Apple ID to be, you know, you think, but like, it's not, they haven't completed the either the branding package and also, like, practically speaking, the the functionality package i should feel like my apple id is a miniature little fortress that i defend in the best ways possible and that uh gives me entree to all these apple services and is the key to the kingdom and instead i just feel like this is this giant liability waiting to happen that doesn't work reliably hmm. it's frustrating because it, it's it's such an opportunity you know it's <sighs> well <laughs> we killed that topic <laughs> okay well, we're <laughs> we're at an hour and thirty three on this particular one. Yeah, we're, yeah. I don't know. You know. I can't do the math anymore. I don't know what this really means. We're at. Uh, we're pretty long. Hmm. Well, you certainly don't have time for free will. God damn it! No time. No time for repping stuff either. Probably. But if we if we wanted to, could we do free will? I don't know. Interesting. I can't believe I put that in the topic list every time I look at that. I you think, you I think, obviously I want to talk about it. I do, but then I always think better of it. As I'm, I'm in a Roderick situation here where, or maybe in you know, your situation where, where you, you do want to talk about it, but do you want to talk about it on a podcast that other people listen no, to? No, maybe. I know, I know. Anyway, I, got anyway. a feeling, I got a feeling you're going to say free will is not a thing. You don't know what I'm going to say. I th- I, you don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> I know what I'm going to say. You don't know. I thought plenty about free will. How do we even measure it? <sighs> Uh, repping stuff I will be, that's why it's ahead of that i think repping stuff is the more fruitful topic but i don't know what not, it means but i'm into it today you do like I, I know i wrote it but i was gonna say uh, earlier today that you wrote it i do not know it, but it's the whole uh john roderick thing of like uh the face you're presenting to the world what are you what are you representing yeah. yourself as being what kind of shapes are you throwing yeah it comes up a lot in that show and it's a, i find it an interesting concept and i'll have things to say about it in a future program i am uh Sorry, I guess that we dragged that out. I mean, I think that was interesting. It's going to be very off-putting to people who are not interested in Apple stuff, but people who are might yep. enjoy it. And you get what you get. You don't get upset. Sometimes we talk about cat poop. Sometimes we complain about iOS devices. Mm-hmm.